0: How long? It's about faith under fire. And when things are looking rough and things aren't going the way you'd want, how do I trust in my God and grow in the midst? Amen. Well, it's great to be here with you today. Great to be worshiping and celebrating. Man, we're in a series called How Long? How Long? And we're talking through uh, from Habakkuk's view what it means, what it looks like to struggle when the stuff you see in front of you doesn't really line up with what you know about your God. When the stuff you're looking at washing on your shore doesn't quite line up with the character of God, what's going on? And uh, Habakkuk's cry was, how long, O Lord, how long? And uh, as he began to interact with God, he was crying out about the sin of the world going on, but very specifically the sin of Judah, his people, the nation of Judah, two tribes of the tribes of Israel, that were gathered together there around Jerusalem. And they had a lot of sin going on. Man, as the the next king came in after Josiah, things went down hard and fast. And there was a lot of terrible, selfish decision-making going on. And Judah started to live deeply against what God was about. And Habakkuk is like, how long, O Lord? How long until you deal with these people? How long until you deal with all of the nations around us and their sinfulness? God, it's everywhere. I long to see you work. And God's like, hang on. You're going to be shocked by the answer. I am working with it in my timing. And I'm going to roll in the nation of Babylon, the Chaldeans. I'm going to roll them into Judah, and they are going to take over. I am going to allow them... To be a judgment on Judah. And Judah is going to get a wake-up call. That this sin is not working. That it must stop. There's going to be a remnant that's raised up through this. But Babylon is going to be my method. They're going to roll in. They're going to take Judah over. They're going to take some people back to Babylon. And it's going to be like a giant reset as I get things going again. Chaldea is going to be where my answer comes from. Habakkuk's answer went something like, you got to be kidding. No way, Lord. Like, come on. I'm talking about the sin of Judah, but my word, their sin is so much worse. Why would you take that sinful of a nation and allow them to prosper? God, what are you doing? God, I don't get what you're thinking. Will you please help me understand And that's where we've kind of picked it up, really over last week and this week now, is God says, I will help you understand. I am going to give you a perspective. In fact, what we're looking at last week, he said, chisel it in stone. Like, this is real. This is actual, factual, and it's going to happen. And it's going to take a little bit of time. And the reality is, chisel it in stone, because there's going to need to be a good memory of it. As God began to explain how he was going to work with Babylon, he's like, you're seeing sin wash on the shore. And you're seeing my character normally stands against sin and just at all measures. And you're crying out, God, are you still just or not? The answer is yes. You watch me work. Because while you're going to see Judah in the next 20, 30 years go under Babylon's pressure, you're going to see Babylon go down eventually. So right this down. What we're about to look at today is God's prophesying about how and why Babylon is going to go down in the next, uh, call it 80 to 100 years, right after this moment as he's telling Habakkuk, this is the future. Hang on for Babylon. Things are going to get righted. Hang on. Our God is the God of the nations. And all of God's people said, And so as we see God working with the nation of Babylon and working with the nation of Judah, know this man, we have a call to respond to that God. So here we go. Point number one. How do we respond to that God? True faith does not steal, but rather works hard and trusts God. True faith does not steal, but rather works hard and trusts God. Turn with me to Habakkuk chapter 2, starting in verse 6, as we pick up The five woes that God has for Babylon and what's coming for them. Remember, these woes are for Babylon, for the nation that is horribly sinful. It says, shall not all these things take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, God's like, write this down. Won't all of these different ways be mocking Babylon, the Chaldeans? Won't they be taunting and scoffing? Here's what they have to say. Ready? Woe to him. Everybody say, woe. woe. There's going to be five of those. Woe to him. He's like, Hang on, man. Him toying with sin is not going to pay off. There's going to be pain. There's going to be sorrow. There's going to be hurt. There's going to be a lot of loss. And it's going to be long lasting. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. He begins to speak about Babylon now, and he's like, he heaps up what isn't his own. He's stealing. He's roaring into other people's lands and taking what isn't theirs. The Chaldeans are becoming vicious and voracious. They can't be satisfied, and they're taking everywhere. They're plundering as they move. And uh, for how long? He says, and he loads himself with pledges. He loads himself with pledges, meaning he roars in and he takes product. And, uh, but more than that, he actually, when he's working with the people and they're now downtrodden and they're in dire need, they start to actually uh, kind of build some sort of pledge back to the ba- Babylonians, basically saying, I, I need your help. And they're beginning to take a loan that's got a ton of debt to it. There's usury going on. There's excessive indebtedness taking place. It says, will not your debtors suddenly arise, and those awake who will make you tremble? Heads up, Babylon! Eventually, all of these victims are going to rise up over you. Watch out! And uh, God's being pragmatic here. He's like, I'm telling you, that only works for a little while. But He's being more than pragmatic. He's being theological. And he's like, hang on, I'm going to do something. I'm going to step in. I'm not going to let the wrong go on forever. Then you will be spoiled for them. Babylon, you're going to become spoil For all of those you ended up hurting, they're going to plunder from you. They're going to take, you're going down to the very people you took from. He's like, because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you you know this is a lot like um, the story of Egypt with Israel in Egypt and as they were getting ready to go out God getting things set he ends up bringing in the 10 plagues one after another getting worse and as the plagues are forever getting worse all of a sudden we hit the 10th plague absolutely horrible And, and all of those firstborns are passing away if they're basically the young ones are passing away, and it's a horrible moment, a devastation in the place. And while there's been a decry for them to release Israel, Pharaoh's been holding on, but this one is too horrible. And at the end of it, they're like, "Just get out of here. In fact, get out now. And while you go, take anything, just go. They're trying to appease the God that would do this to this nation. They're trying to get these people happy with them and they're giving them gold and silver and cattle and everything else. As they left Egypt, they left massive in size, strong with their God and having plundered the nation, not because they demanded anything, but because Egypt just started pouring it on on the way out. He's basically bringing back that exact same Kind of mindset here. He's like, heads up, Babylon. People are going to plunder you on the way out. For the blood of man and violence to earth, to cities, and all who dwell in them. We're going to see this quote again at the end of this segment. But for the blood of man and the violence of earth, they're doing more than just taking property. They're taking lives. They're abusing and they're brutalizing the people. And God isn't missing it. And uh, know this, violence begets violence, right? And hatred begets hatred. And God's like, I'm telling you, this isn't gonna work where they roll in with violence. It's going to roll back on them. Never do we as human beings fix things by using our sinfulness and our aggressiveness in the midst. Man, may we come back with the heart of Christ in the middle of it. And as there is something happening, may we be ready to turn the other cheek, but at the same time, take a hard stand with who our God is and worship our King with all we've got. He's like, woe to him, the one who takes. Second woe. Woe to him. Everybody just say, woe. this is the second woe going to him. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house the one who steals in order to prosper his own home, to build the physical home, to build it bigger, to be able to provide for his family. That's the home as well. To be able to provide for the people in his home and for the building itself, to be able to prosper by your theft and make it very personal in your prospering. It's not the nation necessarily that's prospering now. It's individual by individual. And they're just building up their home. He says, to set his nest on high, to be safe from reach or harm. You know, whenever you use violence, whenever you use stolen wealth, the reality is you also need a good defense system. Because now you're putting yourself at odds with everybody around you. So all of a sudden you're trying to put your home up high, like this nest up high, meaning safe, protected, and They're going through all the protection measures, the self-defense measures, as they're stealing from those around them. He says, you have devised shame for your house. The very thing you sought in order to build up is the very thing that's going to wash on your shore. Here comes shame, and it's coming at you in horrible ways. By cutting off many peoples, you have forfeited your life. Can you imagine if you're Habakkuk? You're about this far into what you're hearing God say. You are so sick of all the sin that's going. You're horrified by the sin of Babylon. You can't believe God said he's going to use that. And then God starts listing off how horrible Babylon is. Woe to him. Woe to him. Imagine the smile on Habakkuk's face. As he's sitting there hearing this, the stuff he's supposed to chisel, and he's hearing, woe to the guy who's constantly sinning and standing against me and hurting you. Woe to him. That's right, man. Bring it, God. Glad you're seeing it. Absolutely. You bet, right? Habakkuk's got to be like getting super fired up by this point, and we're only two of the five woes in. He says... For the stone will cry out for the wall, and the beam of the woodwork will respond. And you'll see the stones and the beams. In other words, if all of the human witnesses are gone, the very things plundered and destroyed will be crying out, don't worry, there will be witness, and this will be paid for. Habakkuk is beginning to hear how the stuff washing on his shore is making sense with the God of justice. It's all in the timing. It's all in the timing. Hang on. God is going to be dealing with those hearts. You know, the the reality is uh, Babylon chose to go to theft, plundering, stealing. And the reality is what honors God is actually our hard work us putting effort forward in a way that honors our king. May we go after not stealing either attention or, or whatever, even stealing the credit, not stealing the product. May we worship our God. May we work hard. And that's a huge call out. And he's basically saying Babylon's not that. They're doing it exactly the opposite. No character to what they're doing. You know, there was a, uh, a moving company, They were looking to kind of hire some new people. They're starting to expand and this moving company's trying to go after it. And so as they hired the new people in, they started to train them. They're like, hey, here's how the truck works. Here's how we begin to get the heavier product up on the truck. Here's the ramps. Here's how we get them out. Here's how we put them back in. This is how we tie things down inside the truck to make them safe. Here's how you can protect your back, like all the teachings along the way. And then he says, by the way, just so you know, there's three kinds of piano movers. There's the guy who gets behind the piano and he starts pushing with all he's got. I mean, he pushes hard. He's moving it that way. There's the guy who gets out in front. He pulls along with the other guy, pulling as hard as he can and directing a little bit as to where it goes, kind of guiding and pulling with all he's got. And then there's the guy who grabs that little bench they sit on and just picks that up and goes, hey, I got this piece and walks along with the bench He's like, don't be that guy. Don't make your living in your day allowing them to do all the hard work. Make sure you're putting your effort in. High character, working hard, not stealing from somebody else's time, somebody else's effort, or somebody else's product. May God get all the glory. And all of God's people said, it's a huge deal man so how are you doing at working hard how are you doing at putting your whole self in to making sure God's character is glorified in what you do work heartily as to the Lord CS Lewis said it as whether you're cleaning the house or you're writing the symphony do it all for the glory of God work hard Okay, point number two. True faith does not shame and hurt, but rather builds up and encourages. True faith does not shame and hurt, but rather builds up and encourages. He starts out now third time. Woe to him. Everybody just say woe. Right, so Babylon's getting it in spades, right? Here's the third woe. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Woe to you Babylon, you are destroying people, you are tearing down life, you are killing people wherever you go. And the city is being founded on iniquity, like it's getting large, it's getting sinful, and you're excited about it. He's basically saying to Habakkuk, yes Habakkuk, I see their sin. Yeah, I see it. I got it. Begin to make it make sense. It's not that God can't see it. It's not that God doesn't know it. It's not that God doesn't care about it. Yeah, I see it. Hang on. He says, behold. And when we see the word behold, we say, check it out. Is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? He's like, don't you see, Habakkuk? That in fact, even in this moment, while you don't see the massive retribution, the massive judgment on Babylon, I'm thwarting them even as they move. They're working all their effort just to keep a fire lit. They're working all their effort just to make a little bit of progress as they plunder. And it's going to all be taken from them. Know this, God stands against sin. Sometimes in the immediate Sometimes in the little bit longer term, always in the eternal, God stands against sin. And all of God's people said, and don't miss that, because sometimes when the sin is washing on the shore and God is choosing for a moment of patience or mercy as he's beginning to make a point, we begin to say, God, have you changed your mind on justice? Like, where are you now? Lord, what are you going to do with? Know this. God does stand against sin. Sometimes in the immediate. Sometimes in the little bit longer term. Always in the eternal. God stands against sin. May he get all the glory. It says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Let's just start with the back end. As the waters cover the sea. Picture the sea, isn't it all water, right? As the waters cover, it could have just said, as the waters are the sea. Like I'm just saying everywhere. God is saying, heads up, the earth will be, future tense, will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Hang on Habakkuk. I know right now is a little confusing. And we're moving through a process. And ultimately, I'm telling you this. The earth is going to be filled with the greatness of who I am. With the perfection of what I'm about. With the goodness of where I'm going. I'm telling you, it's going to be so understood. Can you imagine being Judah? You're about ready to go under the heavy, nasty, horrible hand of Babylon. It's going to be rough, man. This is one of those hope statements where God's like, hang on. You let the remnant know they're coming through this and I'm telling you my glory is going to be spread around this earth and ultimately it is going to be known everywhere in this earth. You hang on. My righteousness and my glory are coming. Man, patience in the face of sin could be some of the hardest stuff we have to face. And God's like, hang on. I've got a plan in it. He starts out, number four, woe to him. Woe to him. Everybody just say woe. Fourth woe. Woe to him who makes his neighbor drink. You pour out your wrath and you make them drunk. Some of this is like, dude, you force them to drink and get drunk. Like you're making them sit down to a party and join you and get drunk at it. Some of it's just the social pressure, this, this uh, forceful pressure. But more than that, You're also creating a climate and a culture where they're devastated. They're hurting. They're in heartache. They have no idea how to deal with life. And the only thing you give them to anesthetize the pain is alcohol. And then you make them drink it down getting drunk. You're setting up an environment where you mistreat horribly and you drive them to despair. And in that despair, it takes them to alcohol. Both and. You're making them drink, and you're making an environment that would be good for drink, and you're tearing them apart. And then he says, in order to gaze at their nakedness. Now for our culture, this makes zero sense. We're like, what in the world is he talking about? But the reality is, you got to remember, they're walking around with either like a robe or maybe at most like a kilt kind of thing on. So if you're not careful... That whole kilt or robe can come up. If you're not careful, you reveal yourself. And another piece is in the Hebrew, nakedness was like this amazingly embarrassing moment. You don't reveal that out. Two things with the Hebrews. You don't show the bottom of your foot and you don't reveal your own private snuff. That's it. That's it. You don't do that. You don't go after it. And he's like, just so you know, there will be a massive despairing and then a horrible humiliation As they end up seeing you revealing yourself. Why? Probably because you fell down drunk and weren't able to cover. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. In other words, the tool you used was shame. But shame is going to be coming at you, Babylon. Heads up, your tool will now be coming down on you as a punishment. He says, drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. Now he's turning it around to them. You're going to drink so much. You're going to fall down. You're going to reveal your nakedness, your uncircumcision. Meaning you're not called out. You're not one of the the, uh, uh, Israelites saved. You're not one of the elect. You're not one of the privileged. And it's going to be revealed out in how God stands against you. He says, the cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you in his right hand. In other words, the hand of his justice, the hand of his judgment, the hand of his power. The right hand of God is standing against Babylon. And he says, utter shame will become your glory. In other words, you gave a cup of wine, but God will give a cup of wrath. Hang on. Know this, man, God does take sin seriously he says the violence done to lebanon will overwhelm you as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them Um, you know babylon as they got ready to roar into judah they actually were coming across the north first and lebanon is up to the north of israel and judah so as they roared in they roared over to lebanon and Lebanon was known for all of its great like, gardens, for its amazing vegetation. The trees, the cedar trees were phenomenally wealthy and rich. It was a huge deal to grab the cedars from Lebanon and bring them back to your place and build with them. And so they roared into Lebanon and they mistreated the property. They did horrible things as they basically cut the landscape down. They just raised it to the ground and took all of it. You know, this isn't unlike, really, um, if you think of Haiti and the Dominican Republic. Like, we do a lot down in Haiti with church planting, and, and the land of Haiti is pretty rough. Like, it's sparse, it's rocky, it's barren, there's not a lot of trees around, it's pretty dead. And then all of a sudden, sprouts up the Dominican Republic, connected to it on the same island, just lush green, everywhere. And, and there's this line where it starts. How did that line know to grow right there? It, it's like it was all Haitian on one side, Dominican on the other. It was owned by the French, and they ravaged the land. And then the Dominican owned by the Spanish, and they took care of the land. And it shows. The property reveals itself. Lebanon was being destroyed by Babylon in a horrible, horrible way. He says, for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all that dwell in them. This is that same quote that we had talked about before in the passage. He's like, it's more than just property you're taking. You are actually destroying human lives. Blood and life is the destruction. It's a terrible moment. And man, as the sin was rolling on Habakkuk's soil, as he was having it roll up on his shore, He was being horrified with the sin. The secret when we're facing any kind of sin in our life that's washing on our shore, the secret is where do you place your heart, right? We talked about this uh, last week and the week before, but where do you place your heart? Where you face your heart, it will reflect exactly that. And if you point your heart at the sin, if you become an expert of the darkness, if you're looking at all that's wrong, you're going to begin to spew that back out as a mirror. Your heart acts like a mirror just reflecting what you're staring at and being an expert at. Man, in the midst of all the darkness in this world, turn your heart towards your God, the God who is the light of the world, facing your heart to him, worshiping him with all you've got. And as you point to him, as you look at him, as you learn of him, his light bouncing off of you and beaming out into this world, you become a light in this world. Man, point your heart's mirror at your God in the middle of darkness, washing on your shore. It's a super huge deal that we don't Strive to be an expert of the darkness. We strive to be an expert of the light. And may your heart pointing to your king give you a whole different worship in the midst of it. He's like, make sure you understand that your God is caring for and standing against the sin. So simple question. And in this world, are you more an expert of the darkness that's around you? Or are you facing your heart at your God who is light? Are you learning to worship Him in all that He is? And how are you doing it? handling the mess in this world? Because in this year, we have a lot of heartache. We have a lot of sinfulness. We have a lot of power mongering. We have a lot of control mongering. We have a lot of horrible statements and a lot of attack and a lot of teardown of our God. We have truth being taken completely awry. Are you becoming an expert of all of that? Or are you an expert of your God staring into the light, stunned with his greatness, worshiping him, longing to be a light in a dark world? And may we build up and encourage May the light of our king reflect off of us and into this world. And all of God's people said, amen, man. Point number three. Point number three. As we begin to walk through these, remember there's five woes that were listed out here. Five woes to Babylon in order to make it clear to Habakkuk that he is going to deal with this nation. Point number three. True faith does not worship idols but rather celebrates the almighty Lord. True faith does not worship idols, but rather celebrates the almighty Lord. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? In other words, why in the world would you worship a thing you just made? Like you just made it. Clearly the most it has in it is what you gave to it. And even a lot of what you gave to it was just a little of what you have So why are you looking to an idol and worshiping it like it has anything? Why would you go after what you've made? He says, for his maker trusts in his own creation when he makes a speechless idol. When you make an idol that you start to worship, you're actually trusting your own handiwork. Now, for us today, we think of idol and you may think of something wooden or something metal or something... Old school, Old Testament, but the reality is we make a lot of things into idols success, fame, your name up in lights, monetary success, maybe a certain amount in your bank account, maybe a house, maybe a house of a certain size, maybe a house paid off of a certain size, and it becomes the focus. It's the idol. We're building it up, we're creating it of our own selves, and it becomes our Worship along the ways. Like, be careful. Those are speechless items. You're just trusting in yourself when you're trusting in what you make. That's what he's saying. You're just trusting in yourself when you're trusting in what you make. I did a lot of thinking on this this week and uh, I just wrote this down. Um, truth. We are made first to worship and then to create. We are made to worship and to create. First to worship than to create. Each of us built into our hearts is a heart of worship. You will worship something. There is no choice about that. You are made to worship. You're going to go after something. You are a worshiper. And you will create. God is both of those. He is so glorious. He is all about worship and he is all about creation. And he's built that into you. You are a creator and you are a worshiper. So here we go. We are made first to worship, then to create. Get the order right, or you will end up worshiping what you make. We are a worshiper and a creator. Get the order right, or you will end up worshiping what you make. This is a super huge deal. When we start with our own creation and we build something up, we start to go, do you see how awesome? Look at what I've accomplished. Look at where I am. This is so amazing. And I worship the... But when we start with pointing our heart to God Almighty, pointing our heart's mirror to the King of the universe, and we worship Him with all we've got. When we start with that worship, I'm telling you, the creation just falls in line. All of your work starts to become an expression of worship. All of your work begins to point to Him as your worth. And everything falls into line you are a worshiper you are a creator start with putting your worship in the right place and watch the rest of it fall in line right then he says with his last one fifth one woe to him everybody say woe woe to him who says to a wooden thing awake to a silent stone arise can this teach he's like how in the world can you learn from it Everything it is, you poured into it, and you even held some back. How can that thing teach you? There's no value in it. Point to me and me alone. He says, behold, it is made with gold and silver, and no breath is in it at all. There's no breath. There's no life. There's no thought. There's no movement. The idols that we make are objects that we build up so that we can end up having something back to ourselves." He says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. He said, you build idols and you worship the woeful creation that you have put together. But I am the almighty creator. There is breath in me. There is life in me. There is hope in me. There is purpose in me. There is consistency in me. Come worship me. I am the almighty God. This is what God just got done saying, man. You have to hear it. As Habakkuk is like, I'm confused. God stands up and goes, I will deal with the sin. Woe to him. 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 I'm going to deal with the sin. Now, hang on. Worship me. I have this in hand. I will make much Of all that is going on in my glory revealed throughout the earth. Hang on. Come worship me. Man, may God get all the glory. As we set down our ridiculous idols. And we point our heart to him. And make much of our king. And all of God's people said, amen man. He says, let all the earth keep silent before him. No back talk. Right, have you ever been in that parent mode where all of a sudden in the house, you're like, that's it, no more talking. <laughs> like you're just setting it down. It's time for you to respect what's going on. I'm in charge. God's like, hang on, no back talk, silence required. This is who I am. Take it in. This is a massive life turning moment for Habakkuk as we grasp the reality of God in our lives as we see disaster and we see god doing something with it you know uh i was just going to close the sermon here with one more phrase but instead i'm going to tell you a story so uh this morning i was on my way in and uh i was coming up moeller road and uh you know how Mueller goes over i-74 and it kind of takes that turn right by the red barns there Takes the turn. So I'm coming up with my truck and I'm coming up on that turn, and all of a sudden a car comes flying over from the other side. And as it's flying over the top, 70 miles an hour, must have been checking a phone or something, just all of a sudden comes across the lane, fully into my lane, not really coming at me yet, still going across the lane like straight, not catching the turn. All of a sudden he catches it, and as he starts to turn, he's on the white line all the way on my right side on the white line, he starts to catch it and turn, the car starts to actually skid a little bit in the stones, like it's, and we're going head on. I'm going 60, he's got to be going a good 70. I just hammer the brake. My Bible goes flying up into the windshield, I'm like holding onto the wheel, and that first initial thought, I'm like, do I go left? Like is it better for me to get in his lane, and right, and I'm like, I ain't moving. He's gonna have to do it. And I'm holding on, I'm hitting the brakes, I hear my tires just peeling as I'm breaking it down, and I'm watching my speedometer drop and I'm watching him come at, and he just barely catches it and zips past me. And as I come up over the bridge, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> All of a sudden I'm going 35 into 55, 60, you know, and I'm holding on to the wheel, and I'm like, thank you, Lord the hand of God in that moment that was utterly so close to a head-on collision moment thank you Lord that he looked up when he did and uh, I'm just thank you Lord I didn't take the left lane it would have been a head-on collision in his lane and then I'm the moron colliding head-on in his lane right like thank you Lord for the protection and the safety in the midst of adversity That's what Habakkuk is right now experiencing. As he gets to the end of this chapter, he goes, you've got it. Thank you, Lord. May we trust the God who has it in hand and all of God's people said, let's pray.